Too true to lie, Harry Day. We're gonna keep it positive and do a lighter themed show episode. Is it a show? Is it an episode? Um. Well, before we hit that, let's talk about tomatoes. I plant tomatoes every year, and some years they do pretty good, and then go kind of taper off and some years they do really good and then really when you hit the heat and the drought of late summer they kind of quit making tomatoes well right now I am tomato rich I have an abundance of Cherokee purple tomatoes and they're not really purple more of a, a reddish orange but they're amazing, unbelievable. I took some down to my friend Brian's place and his wife made tomato pie. And tomato pie is basically a pie crust filled with uh, sliced tomatoes, basil, cheddar cheese, Parmesan cheese, and bacon. I think that's all that's in there. And it was I almost ate an entire pie. I ate three quarters of one of the pies. It wasn't thick, deep. It wasn't a deep dish, deep, deep dish. Man, it was good. So, tomato pie is, is happy. That's positive, right? I know that a lot of my shows, my, a lot of my episodes recently have been serious. The last one was serious. But tonight... It is after midnight. I had some tough technical difficulties. My phone wouldn't stay charged. I let it go down to 1% and then it died. And then when I plugged it in, it just wouldn't charge. It'd get to 1% and stop. And I plugged my microphone into my phone to record the show. And then I upload it into the interweb and add my song mixes, my intros and outros, which I have new intro today you just heard to first it's just a take on the on the same intro i've done before kind of but the whole theme is stay positive so now we'll delve into our subject matter for the evening which is the history of alcohol 
I don't drink. I quit drinking about 18 years ago, not because I was an alcoholic, not because I had trouble drinking or I was a bad drunk. I just quit drinking. I smoked pot for a long time, but once I had kids, I quit smoking pot. I may do a, a marijuana episode after the alcohol episode or, or in the near future. And then I can toy with the music to go with it. And I may do that tonight with the, with the outro. I hadn't done it yet. Anyway, the history of alcohol. Did you know 10,000 years ago in the Stone Age, vessels were found with residue, dried residue of fermented drink made from honey and wild yeast. I do not know where you find wild yeast unless it's on something else. But that's what it was made of. And that was 10,000 years ago. So it could have happened 20,000 years ago. Who knows? People do not know. They know that as far back as 10,000 years ago, people were making a fermented drink out of honey and wild yeast, which would be a mead, I imagine. So we'll go... Now we'll hit the BCs. In 6000 BC, grapevines were being cultivated in the mountainous areas of the Black and Caspian Sea for the purpose of making wine, obviously. In the year 4000 BC, in the Mesopotamia, also known as Iraq today, there was a thriving winemaking region. So first... It was, you know, and I'd also read that uh, farmers, and I don't mean just like farmers who grew grain, because farmers also grow fruit trees, nut trees, coffee bushes. But farmers would find fallen fruit that had turned, basically. Um... <clears throat> the Romans would take take grapes that had yeast growing on their surface and turn that into their wine. But who knows how far back people were actually taking fruit or grain that had turned and made itself into alcohol, which is what it does. But it has to have a sugary content. That's why fruit is usually better than other things. Corn has sugar. Um, around 3000 BC, when Egypt was really hitting its prime, wine production and shipping throughout the Mediterranean was one of their most important businesses. North over the Mediterranean Sea, the Romans were making wine with wild grapes that grew in the countryside. And these grapes had the yeasts on their surface, which helped the fermentation process. They gathered it, they put it together in whatever vessels. And they developed a way of aging their wine by using a tapered two-handed jar that held about seven gallons of wine, and they would seal it off and let it mature so air wouldn't get into it, bugs and things. So they were aging their wine 
in uh, Italy, ancient Rome, Roman Empire. Around 1500 BC, in literature, the Roman god Dionysus started showing up. The Greeks translated it as Bacchus. I'm sure we're familiar with Bacchus. If you know anything about Mardi Gras or fraternity parties or uh, other things involving Bacchanalia or whatever it's called. <laughs> I erased that one sentence and now I can't think of it. But Bacchus, anyway, he was showing up in literature in 1500 B.C., we're in the wine phase still. And a cult grew under his name as the god of grapes and harvest and winemaking. And this underbelly of Roman society, or it might have been mainstream, believed that wine could be used in rituals to return to a more innocent and aware state, basically the effects of alcohol. But in time, the Dionysus or Dionysian uh, rituals became a little too much. They got out of hand and widespread drunkenness took over that area of the Roman Empire in Italy. And so much so that these uh, Dionysian parties or rites, as they call them, were outlawed by the Roman Senate. The increasing drunkenness seemed to accompany the decline of Roman society from its simplicity and honesty to a, raw's, to a rise in raw ambition, corruption, and alcoholism. But they didn't call it that. It was just heavy drinking, regular heavy drinking. I don't know what they called it. They might have called it alcoholism, but I doubt it. Um, it's also noted by archaeologists that alcoholic beverages, beverages very possibly were being made in China before they were in the West, which would have been the European continent. Moderation was... Um, What's the word? Moderation in, in drinking of these alcoholic beverages, probably rice wine, mead. I think there was a, a combination of three different ingredients that each could make its own alcohol were made together. But moderation was encouraged by the government. And this is um, 1116 BC, so it has to be from a document. The Chinese treasury apparently was making a lot of money off alcohol tax revenue or alcohol sales, even though moderation was encouraged. Of course, there's a lot of people in China, but this is, this is BC, you know, 1000 BC. In 800 BC, barley and rice beer began to be produced. And it seems to be the first place this happened was India. Now, in Greece, Plato, and I just talked about Plato and his, his uh, passion for a somewhat of a so socialistic society. 
He advised that wine was beneficial to health and happiness, but only in moderation. This was in his writings in 400 BC. But after time, philosophers began to criticize the drunkenness that ensued from alcohol consumption as it became more common and people drank more. In this same time frame, although I think it was 1000 AD, Alexander the Great, no, maybe he was in that time. I'm thinking of William the Conqueror. Um, Alexander the Great was known for his drunkenness as well as his ability to conquer other cultures. So we go to 500 and 300 BC. The Hebrews adopted a beverage for all classes and ages instead of just for upper classes and middle classes. And it was used as a drink for festivals, medicine, provisions in a time of war, and a supply for life, for their lifestyles, I guess. Soon after, wine began to be used in Jewish rituals and ceremonies. So I wonder what the Hebrew beverage was that they made. I do not know. They did not say. Um, in Christian writings during the time of Jesus, drunkenness was considered, was, was criticized, but alcohol consumption was recommended for medical purposes and it was not forbidden for any other purposes. So maybe it was just drunkenness was criticized, but the uh, light teetotaling use of wine was okay. In the same time, in Rome, emperor after emperor became well known for their abusive drinking. But around 69 AD, these reports dropped off and his thoughts, it was thought that drinking may have declined substantially in the entire Roman Empire for whatever reason. Maybe they had a lack of grapes. In 680, the prophet Muhammad, king pervert Islam, ordered his people to refrain from drinking alcohol. The Buddhists and the Hindus also did the same. They, they wanted people to abstain. They were purists to a degree. By 1100 AD, a medical school in Italy developed distillation, which was a way to distill a liquid that was fermenting into a more pure and stronger alcoholic drink. This is also known as the liquors. And so now we're going, now we're drinking our way into the Middle Ages. We're going to be in Europe, and they had extensive development of wine, beer, and mead, which was made from honey. The wines were the most popular in Italy, Spain, and France. We had monks brewing beer of good quality. And by the Middle Ages, they used hops to make their beer. But they also used wine for celebrating mass. This would be the uh, Catholic monks. And eventually brandy was made. Beer manufacturing really made its hit in Germany. Cities would compete with each other for the best beer brewed. By the end of the Middle Ages, 
beer and wine production made its way to Scotland and England and quickly became very important industries. This would be around 1500, a little earlier. In the 1600s, drunkenness became a widespread problem in England. Beer and wine commonly being abused. Religious groups were fleeing England in the early 1600s and they headed for the New World. These were the Puritans and other groups. Not only were they fleeing the widespread drunkenness, but also the church and the way the church ruled England. And I can't remember if it's the Protestants or the Catholics at that time. Protestants were into alcohol. I'm fixing to get into that. I don't think the Catholics were as cool about their about their followers abusing alcohol. But England by 1600 was having a problem, and they had just gotten it. Uh, they really loved it, obviously. Even their warm beer. It doesn't say anything here about warm beer. Protestant leaders in Europe maintained that alcohol was a gift from God and could be used in moderation for pleasure, enjoyment, and health. Seems like pleasure and enjoyment are the same thing. But Protestant leaders also said drunkenness was always a sin. And so cultures culture struggled for that balance in between. The Spanish and Polish peasants consumed an average of three liters of beer per day. And in some English districts, beer and ale consumption averaged, averaged 17 pints per week per person. About three pints is what they do today per week. I, I doubt that. In Sweden and Denmark, sailors and laborers were given a gallon of beer a day. So the Nordic people liked to kick back their beer. So we had our Puritans fleeing repression, seeking asylum, not asylum, just seeking freedom in the new world. Well, where was the first distillery in America? It was on Staten Island in what became New York and hops were grown in Massachusetts to supply the breweries that made beer. Massachusetts and Boston also had a rum distillery and they have an exact date that started in 1657. And uh, this area would soon become New England's most prosperous industry, alcohol, rum, beer. And it gave rise to smuggling along the coast because England levied taxes on alcohol produced in New England, in the New World. Did you know John Hancock, the first man to sign the Declaration of Independence? And he signed it big and everybody was like, why'd you sign it so big? And he's like, so the king can read it. He was a wine smuggler. He smuggled Madeira wine, among other things, because he did not like paying taxes. And he became a wealthy man, and he funded a, uh, I don't know what percentage, but he funded a, a, a large amount of his money to the American Revolution. 
and he was real, real unsteady about the whole starting of the revolution. He just wanted to be a businessman and do his thing. He liked freedom too. But the taxes were too much on everybody, including his wine, so he was smuggling. So he knew if he was caught, he'd be charged with crimes. And so he went ahead and jumped in with the revolution with the Adams brothers in Boston. And uh, they got George Washington's attention. He was in Virginia. He had been a soldier for Great Britain in the French and Indian Wars. He wasn't successful at the time, but he gathered a lot of experience, enough to win the revolution. So we'll jump into the 1700s, which is where we are, when, when Hancock was doing his uh, smuggling. He was not alive in 1657. In the early 1700s, England saw the production of millions of gallons of gin. This is an alcohol flavored with juniper berries. By 1733, the London area alone produced 11 million gallons of gin. This is in 1733. 11 million gallons of gin. The poor people in London found relief from their strife in life with this cheap with this cheap liquor because there was so much of it it was cheap taxes on gin were soon increased though to reduce the epidemic of drunkenness that followed the mass uh allowance no the mass availability of gin i wonder if that's where gin started in england maybe So we're hitting almost 1800. Beer has been made on all continents by now. Wine has been made on all continents by now. Liquor and distillation is making its way around. Industrialization is spreading. And a new culture of reliability and sobriety began to spread with it. That no doubt encouraged mill owners who needed employees who could work to try to temper. Does that does that does that word mean something to y'all? Temper, not having a bad temper. I'm talking about temperance. Temperance started to spread because people needed sober workers that would work and not pass out, that would work and not hurt themselves, that would work and not fight or just walk away. And the United States made a huge attempt, and it was unsuccessful, to completely ban alcohol with prohibition in the 30s during the Depression. But it did little to curb drinking and it just gave rise to organized crime and smuggling of illegal alcohol. It came from Canada. It came from the Bahamas and Cuba. It came from moonshine stills and bathtub gin and just hidden alcohol production. Because when you ban something or you take something away that's involved in a freedom, people are gonna find their freedom. People are gonna make their way around to, to obtaining their freedom. 
marijuana these days is slowly becoming legalized for recreational use across the country. It's become decriminalized to an extent for smaller amounts. It's become legalized for medicinal use. And in some states, it's become legalized for recreational use, like Colorado. And they tax it, and they reap a large amount of money in that state in tax revenue. And other states could take a look at that and doing that responsibly. I mean, when you think about people who can buy liquor anywhere these days, and freely drink it, and then then they go driving around, and you can't, you know, you can't say that you're a good driver after you've had too much to drink. And and you look at the st- statistics of people killed and maimed and hurt yearly in this country. It's it's a huge number, but alcohol is legal. It's big business. That's the main reason that it's not more, uh, gosh, I mean, people would get it anyway. That's the way they do it with marijuana. People, I, mean, I could buy marijuana in the late 80s. I didn't very much, but I could have it at college. I started in the 90s. You know, you, you, all you had to do is find, meet the right person that sold it or someone that knew somebody that sold it. It was, it was a black market thing. I wonder if I'll have to change black market, the name of black markets. Everything's, everybody's so sensitive to things these days, to monuments and statues and symbols, things that are inanimate, that don't hurt anybody. But apparently they trigger, there's the key word there, they trigger horror in people's minds of the past. And this is, I'm, I'm totally rolling out of the alcohol because I've run out of uh information on the history of alcohol. I've hit y'all with the alcohol history. I'm going to drink some green tea. Because I don't drink. Although I had, I, I drank about the equivalent of almost a chilada, a tall boy chilada, Bud Light tomato beer with a friend down on the Gulf Coast. And it tasted all right because it had the tomato juice in it. Uh, I really don't, I can't say I felt any effects. And I can't say I really enjoyed it and one another because I don't. Um, I don't miss the marijuana either. I did for a while. But, you know, when you have little kids, that's more important. If people would be better parents... We'd probably have less snowflakes out there being taught by teachers who have an agenda. Private schools and charter schools aren't our problem. We need freedom of choice of education. And these public schools are putting a hurt on this country. Because we have kids going out hating statues that are just pieces of metal that sit there. Sure, it represents something. Something that's dead and gone. It's history. That's why they call it history. It's history. Here in Mississippi, we're about to change our flag. We're the last 
state that has a noticeable, visible symbol of the Confederate States of America 150 years ago, or 170 years, whatever, long time ago. All those people in the Civil War, all those people that were slave owners, they're dead. They're gone. Their children are dead and gone. Their children are dead and gone. Same with the slaves and their children and their children. They've all gone through their lives and made amends with each other and with God when they pass. And when I see what I see on TV in the streets with with the violence and the looting, uh, I'm jumping back into it because it's so fresh in our in our in our minds right now. And you see people out there doing bad, mean and bad things to each other, and to other people's businesses and homes, and to public property and government property. It make I I see it and I think they must not be Christian. And it's okay if you're not Christian. As long as you're a good person. But a good Christian would be able to understand and forgive people and what they had done in the past that are dead and gone. They're dead and gone, y'all. Don't take it out on the living. None of us have slaves. None of us have privilege. We're all the same people. We all have equal rights. We all bleed and cry and laugh the same. You, you cannot equivalize, if that's a word, society anywhere. Because you have one group taking from another group. Is that fair to take? You can ask. Does the government not give out enough money a year? Good Lord. You can earn. That's what most people that have made what they have these days did. That's what they did. They earned it. Anyone in the South... If you think anyone in the South is still rich from growing cotton with slaves in the 19th century, you do not know history. The South was devastated. Its entire food source was used up. Most of its resource was used up. Any cotton that was grown up to the end of the war was burned or taken by the North. Any wealth that was in the banks was taken either to fund the war or was taken by the victors of the war. The South was desolate. 
when the army of the uh, when the army of Northern Virginia was paroled by Grant and and Abraham Lincoln after uh, Appomattox, they were let go. They they said, "Y'all are, go home. The war's over. You're repatriated. Go home." They didn't get in buses and go home. They didn't get in trains and go home because the whole rail system in the South was destroyed. They walked home. Some of them were able to horse home, not many. Most of them walked. Well, all the food and all the food source that was supplying the armies, that was supplying the people trying to live their lives who didn't have slaves, who just had little farms, food was scarce. It is said that the thistle, the thistle plant, saved the lives of the Army of Northern Virginia as they walked home in all the directions they took back south and southwest. Because the thing about thistle is you look at it and it looks like a spiny plant with a tall spiny stalk. However, if you whittle that outside down, you have what looks exactly like celery and it has water in it, has some vitamin and mineral in it, tastes a little like cucumber, I've eaten it. Looks like celery, tastes like cucumber. Well, it was spring when the South surrendered, they lost the war. And Men are walking home down trails and through fields and on dirt roads. And because they were country people, country boys, they knew what they could eat in the wild. And they just, luckily, it was spring and things were growing. And thistle was growing everywhere like it does in pastures and fields. And that's what these men ate going home. So the rich, the South was not rich after the war. Of course, the South didn't, we're not having, you know, we're, we're slowly getting rid of our Southern uh, statues, not everywhere. I mean, like I said, Mississippi, we're getting the flags fixing to change. I, I, I'm looking forward to it changing so we can move on. You know, everybody can be happy, unified, even though it's just a flag. But there are people that don't like it because it reminds them of slavery. I get it. I get it. How far have I gone? 34 minutes. That's not bad. I've been keeping it down a little bit. Um, I guess they didn't do much drinking when they were walking home after the Civil War. Besides river water, lake water, pond water, dirty water, rain water, if they could catch it, spring water, if they could find it. I've had spring water out of the ground here in Mississippi. It's the purest water on the planet. Good stuff. Um, you know, what else, what else is there to say? I totally derailed the train 
It's like I, you know, I was going to do this episode as if I'd been drinking. And then at the end, say, I'm kidding, I hadn't been drinking. Although sometimes my speech sounds like I've been drinking, but I'm just Southern. I didn't realize how Southern I talked until I was talking to my friend Bradley, who I did a uh, episode on, you know, three episodes back or whatever. And he was, grew up in California, lived in South Carolina, went to Puerto Rico, and is back out in California. Sails around the world, not sails, boats around the world as a captain. He he kept talking how Southern I sounded. And I guess since I've been living here again since 2003, why wouldn't I sound Southern? I say y'all all the time. Fixing. I mean, I you know, I love the Southern food. That doesn't make you talk different. Unless you're talking about grits. <laughs> or biscuits. Or, uh, gosh... Red-eye gravy. Y'all had red-eye gravy? It's not something I regularly have. Anyway, my name's Harry, and I'm not a racist. (laughs) Because I smile and make friends with anyone and everyone I meet. Or just pass by and catch an eye. Because I want to do that ripple effect I always talk about of spreading the kindness and the joy. A smile makes a smile, makes a smile, makes a smile, is what I hope. And so, I'm going to have to go look for a song now to finish this one out. I really like how I ended up uh, last night's episode about socialism with a little twisted sister. But tonight, I'm going to have to figure something out. Something uh, that involves alcohol. Even though I completely derailed the uh, beer truck. But this is HMD. Too True to Lie. And may I always wish you eternal peace. <laughs>